millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. What's up, everyone? Welcome back for a new edition of Collider Ladies Night, a very special edition because I am a big fan of Christina Ricci's. But not only are we here celebrating your filmography, we are celebrating a very, very well-deserved Emmy nomination. Oh, my congratulations. I am so thrilled for you and for the show overall. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been really incredible. And uh, yeah, overall, just the success of the show has been um not, I don't want to say surprising because we knew the show was good when we were making it, but it's been, I guess, overwhelming. Um, could never have imagined people would love it as much as they do. I feel like, to be honest, like part partly the Emmy nominations surprised me, not because I doubt the quality of the show whatsoever, but because actually now that I'm saying this and I'm thinking about the Emmy nominees, it feels like the Emmys embrace genre a little better than, let's say, the Oscars do. So I feel like because I have placed this in the genre category, yeah. my mind automatically says that people aren't going to respect it in that sense. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting when you do kind of compare... Uh, compare the things that are nominated, um, comparing performances. Like it's so different when your performances are genre than they are drama. And um, it is interesting. Yeah. So we are very, I, you're right. We are lucky to be included given how genre heavy our show is. Not lucky. It should just be a normal thing. And you all very much, you all very much deserve the nominations, but I still feel like the show deserved even more nominations than it got. But now I feel like I'm being greedy. <laughs> all right. So first order of business on Collider Ladies Night is we play a game and it's called Dicey Questions. Usually I have a dice tower with me, but the dice tower did not travel to New York. So what happens is you will pick your own numbers. I have eight questions here you pick three of them and whatever you land on that is where we start okay all right so first number at eight uh four all righty oh you got a softball to start here so number four is binge watch what is the most t uh recent tv show that you have binge watched uh recently i was binge watching severance um i didn't get all the way through so i guess my binge was not successful uh, but that was, yeah, that was my most recent attempt. <laughs> okay, it doesn't have to be one, one sitting. You still got some time there. All right. What is your second number? Um, five. 
All right, number five. Okay, I'm glad we landed on a Yellow Jackets one. So I'm going to set a scene for you. You are on a plane. That plane goes down in the middle of nowhere, and you have to survive in the woods until someone comes and finds you. You can pick two Yellow Jackets cast members to be out there with you. Who do you pick that'll give you the best chance of surviving? Well, I would definitely pick Tawny. She's a real survivor. Um and we've talked about how we're obsessed with surviving in nature anyway. So, um, so I picked Tawny and then, um, oh God, who else would I pick? I feel like Jasmine would be really good at surviving also. I would trust that pick. Yeah. Right now I have to follow up. What is your greatest survival skill that you would bring to the group, but then also what is your big survival weakness that you would have to overcome? I'm very strong. I can go a long time without food and um, I am, I have watched a lot of survival shows. So I feel like I have a lot of survival information. <laughs> I'm like one of those people who goes on Naked and Afraid and is like, yeah, well, you know where they all fail. Like where those like crazy f- super fans that go on the show. I would never actually go on the show unless Tawny did it with me. <laughs> I feel like if I ever did any kind of game show, it would be some sort of physical survival game show. Yeah, right? Yeah. Somewhere where I was allowed to travel, though, with contact lens solution, because even though I believe in myself in survival situations, the second you take away my glasses or my contacts, that is the end of me. It's true. You definitely need to have those. (laughs) All right. right. You got one more pick on the tower here, or fake tower that's not here. Um, Number two. Number two is... It's another Yellow Jackets question. Uh, this is Yellow Jackets role swap. If you could swap roles with anyone on the show, who would you pick and why? Wow. Um, I really love uh, Lottie's character. I think that would be a really fun. And now that we know that she's coming back as an adult, it was announced today. Oh, yes. I really feel like that would be a fun part. I was kind of hoping you would say that. I feel like you could crush that role as well. And I can't wait to talk more about certain roles getting cast and confirming that other people have survived that situation. Before we get there, though, we have to go back to the very, very beginning. And every uh, conversation on Ladies Night always starts here. What was the movie, the performance, or personal experience that first made you say, I have to be an actor? Um. Well, I had been acting for a while and I was, uh, I think I was 12 or 13 and I was doing the second Adams Family and we'd spent like seven months on the Paramount lot. And it was just like, it was just such an incredible experience every day. And I had always sort of thought, um, you know, well, at that time when you were a child actor, everybody knew that when you were 13, you basically had to stop acting because they cast adults to play teenagers. So you had no career after that. So I had always kind of been like, well, you know, I'll ride this out and then I'll be, I'll get a real job. I'll be, I don't know, a lawyer, whatever. And I was walking through the lot and I thought, you know what, I'm going to really try to make this go past 13. (laughs) I think this is really cool. And if I could do this the rest of my life, I think that'd be really great. I remember specifically like walking through the lot and being like, Yeah, I know we're all supposed to fail at 13, but I'm going to (laughs) try. So with that in mind, I don't know if it's still like that in the industry to this day, but you continued. So what was the key to kind of overcoming that stigma, I guess, and powering through that phase of your career? Well, I think for me, it was really timing. I really got lucky at the time uh, that I was sort of aging out of family fair. 
uh, independent film became very successful and popular. And um, those filmmakers wanted to cast teenagers to play teenagers. So um, all of a sudden, all of that sort of casting changed. Um, and uh, it was considered, I think, well, I don't know. It, it just became like a little, like less, less cool to cast adults to play teenagers. And I benefited from that, definitely. What was the first film that you think really well represented what your goals were for the types of stories you wanted to tell at that time? A title that would make you think like, I hope everyone in the industry sees this thing so that they could see what I want to do more of. Um, I think something that, I think a movie that really sort of encapsulated the, the kind of characters I wanted to play um, is this movie I did called Opposite of Sex. It was done in 1997. And, you know, I was a teenager at the time. I could not have intellectualized why I wanted to play that part or why I would always lean towards things like that um, moving forward. But it really is, for me, um, a great summation um, or just a very succinct example of what I look for in characters um, and perhaps what I used to look for in humanity, but don't do it anymore. <laughs> you know, that, that idea that, um, the, you know, people who, you know, that character, she's somebody who is on the surface completely aggressive and unpleasant and hostile and conniving, but she is a 16-year-old girl. And through the movie, um, in, without it being trite or um, winky in any way, you do get to love this character, even though she's incredibly unpleasant, and understand that she really is just a child. Um, and I think that's always what I've sort of wanted to do is present the most extreme characters and then allow the audience the journey of finding whatever that tiny thing is that makes you uh, feel empathize. I like bold projects that challenge the actors and the viewer to do that. And as you were explaining that, it's not to the same extent, but I feel like Yellow Jackets basically presents people with every single layer they have, good, bad, and then sets you on your way with them and lets you kind of parse through all of that. And I appreciate that. It makes for a more fulfilling and satisfying journey for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's one of the things I really love about the show and um, just the, the characters, the way they handle all these women, and um, there's no there's no preciousness about it. It's just sort of, um, it's like we've gotten past the discovery that women are interesting, and now we can just treat them as complex, whole human beings. And um, that I love about the show. It's about time that happened more regularly. Um, kind of applying a, a similar approach. Uh, question, I guess, but like to your career overall, how have your goals changed in terms of the types of stories you want to tell and the kinds of sets you want to be on from when you first started when you were when you were younger and you were a child actor compared to what you're drawn to now? What is the biggest difference between the two? Well, I think when I was little, um, I didn't, you know, as, as a child in this industry, you don't have a ton of, or I didn't have a ton of agency or choice. Um, I sort of just auditioned for what was open and, and took what I could get. And then when I had a little bit more standing for me when I was younger, because this industry was such um, a refuge for me, uh, it was all about what, a, what would make me the most successful, what could keep my career going as long as possible. And then, um, and then of course, when I became a, a young adult, I then only wanted to do things that 
that satisfied my like emotional and artistic needs. And that's when all the indies started and stuff like that. Oh my God. I have so many follow-up questions. The, the first one, the first one I guessed would be, what was the first film or show you did that made you feel like an adult? I'm sure you have had a lot of wonderful child actor experiences, but what was the first one that made you feel like your creative input was being heard in a new way? Oh, um, I would say opposite of sex. Um, Don Roos wrote and directed that movie and he was very, uh, you know, he, he talks about, or he told me that when I came in, the audition I gave was very different than everybody else's audition. And, you know, he said that basically it was like, um, I didn't have any fears about being unpleasant or unlikable. And, um, and so he, I think when he saw that, he, he sort of then trusted me to, to collaborate, to contribute, to make choices that might've been different than his. And, um, and it was the first time I think that I felt like really respected for my talent. Um, and that that was why I was being heard. The other thing that popped in my mind when you were explaining that before is like the idea of being drawn to projects that would give you the best chance of success, especially when you're really young. Because I feel like even as an adult, it sometimes can be very difficult to separate like this is my craft and art from this is the business. And just because something doesn't do well box office wise, that doesn't reflect how I performed in the movie. So when you were that young, how did you, I guess, kind of create a gap between the two so that whether or not a movie was successful, it didn't necessarily influence what you thought of yourself and your art. Well, I think that at that time, child actors were not granted the title of artist. Um, so I had no feeling that I had any art or that there was any art to protect or any of that. I did what I was told would be good for films that were good for my career. And I was lucky to be here, basically, is kind of the vibe that we had at that time, kid actors. Oh, my. I, I have so many because I grew up with so many of your movies that were just instrumental to like me formulating who I was as a kid and also what I liked in film and television. And like it, it just makes me so curious. I have to like name drop a couple of titles, but. Like for something like like now and then in particular, where that was like a wide ranging group of kids who all spoke to me for one reason or another, was that the kind of instance where, you know, you're following the script and what you were directed and what you were told to do or on a project like that, were there any opportunities to be creative and follow a path that you wanted to pursue? No, no, um, we were, we, we did what we were told and, and your success as a kid actor was really your ability to take direction and do whatever they told you without question. Now that you are grown up and an adult, I don't know how much you can tap into this world, but do you find working with child actors today that it is still that kind of case, that that kind of environment is still, you know, alive and active in any degree? Well, I don't know. I mean, you do, I think with young actors or actors starting out, there is this, you know, there's this huge competition. There's this sense that you're lucky when you finally get the part. Um, you don't want to lose anything. You so you, you know, by the time you get a part, most of us we've been auditioning for at least a year, 
your ambition, your drive, everything. So I think there is always this sense or I think there's a lot of times this sense of like being really happy to lucky to be there. And I think as kids, especially, they tell you you're lucky to be here so that when you're tired and you don't want to be there, they're like, do you know how lucky, you know? So, but I, so I don't know now how it is for kid actors. I don't know, but I will say that whenever I work with young people who have like been kid actors in the past couple of years, there is like, there is this um, sense of, uh, I don't, it's like an unspoken thing where that other actor knows also that no matter what, we have to get this done and we all have to behave and we're all going to be professional. Like, you know, I've never had a former kid actor, like a real true former kid actor. I'm not talking about people who started at like 17 or 18, but a real former kid actor. I've never been had one who, um, who was sort of difficult or couldn't like jump right to it. And, you know, there's just like a professionalism that is in your bones, <laughs> I think, when you grow up um, on sets. Because if you don't have that professionalism, you're not getting hired again. So you won't be the adult on set. I, I definitely uh, understand that element of it, but I don't know. I mean, this is just my brain saying, you know, creativity and artistry over over business and a set functioning all day no, long, which may be. And I'm not, saying, I think, I'm not saying I think that's good. I yeah. think had I not been it, like stripped of this um, sense of... Uh, agency or artistry like I was really ashamed to call myself an artist for a really long time I think it just in the past five years I finally can use it without cringing um I was really I really kind of uh, took in everything I needed to take in in order to be the best at what I was doing at the time and didn't realize how it was like not so great maybe for um my well-being later so you said the last five years, was it a specific title or a specific scene even that gave you that feeling that made you think like, yes, I am an artist now and no one can take that away from me? No, I mean, you know, I, it's, it isn't, I wish it was as sort of uh, succinct as that, but you know, I do, I don't, it's, I spend just as much of my time like being a human being and a wife and mother and and living life and doing all the things that make us emotionally grow, not only on set. So I think that it's definitely, it was the absence, I think, of some work. And my, just over time, the way I started to take things in and see what other people were sort of allowed to do and... um just came to a place where I just sort of those, those, I guess, as you grow old, you, the things that you internalized as you were younger, hopefully dissipate and fade and go away. So I think it was more of a natural progression than it was just like a thing. I'm sorry, yeah. do I talk too much? No, like it's like, just like everything you're saying, because work-life balance, that is something that family and friends have said to me often, and that's usually what puts into perspective things that you maybe overthink beforehand and, you know, restrict your access to certain really fulfilling feelings that you denied yourself before. So it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. All right, let's get into Yellow Jacket's full force now. Um, I wanted to start with the very beginning in terms of like the secrecy and the elements of the character that you weren't aware of when you first signed on. How how much were you told about who Misty was going in when you first started filming? And then what would you say is the biggest difference between 
what you thought of her at that point in the process and who she turned out to be as you really dug into the role? Well, I mean, we had lots of meetings where where um, the writers really uh, sketched out a lot of possibilities for Misty, um, things they thought that would be fun to see in the season, things they thought they might have her do. So, you know, there was a, we talked a lot about a lot of things and I'm sure they covered everything. So, you know, I shouldn't have been surprised by anything, but you know, when you're in a conversation, sometimes your brain holds on to certain words and like ignores other things that they don't, you know what I mean? So I kind of heard the version of Misty that I heard. And, um, and then, yeah, it was slightly different when we went to do the season and she did things that I wouldn't have imagined her doing. Um, but but I, but I have to say, in thinking back to when the writers were talking to me, I do feel that they mentioned these things. <laughs> How far can you go in terms of filling in the blanks? Because like in Samantha's case, it makes sense for her to learn things as we learn them in the episodes or as she has to act in those episodes. But for you, technically, you know everything that's happened in between, but they also haven't written all the details. So how much are you having to fill in on your own? That is difficult and tricky, and you. I, I almost don't even want to fill it in because I. If I'm wrong, then th that's the thing that's a little scary about TV, is like coming up with any concrete sort of ideas or conclusions that have not yet been written in the scripts. Because you might make a choice based on those things, and then later something happens, and you're like, oh god, so this, it, it, it what I did made no sense, or, but it, but I don't know, I. It's new for me. I this is one of the first one of the few times I've been a series regular on a show where I haven't been an EP. So it is a different experience for me and I'm kind of learning as I go with this and um I've just found that with this I really I as an actor am learning to to be able to perform as this character no matter what surprises are thrown at me. And uh, to do that, I do find that I can't fill in those blanks, you know? And that is really weird for me because I've never really done anything in that way, but we just got, how's, how are we going to do it? <laughs> so you can't fill in those blanks, but is there any particular, I guess maybe I would describe it as an anchor you can turn to no matter, you know, how wild Misty's decisions are, or what pops up that you never expected was going to happen. Is there a particular quality or maybe experience she had that you can always turn to and know that whatever decision she made was in truth? Well, I always try to root it to really her core, like uh, compul compulsions, impulses, um, and personality type. And they do have, we have written in this, we have seen in the script, in the series, she does the same thing over and over again. She has a compulsive need to try to um, get people to, she does, she's gone so far past this idea of connection because she's so obsessed with connection that it's more now like, like Lenny from Of Mice of Men, she's going to grab them and squeeze them and put them in a basement. You know, she's gone past, yeah. she, she, um, so, so I just always have to go back to her we get to see and what's great too is that when you have a younger character being played you get to see that like that law like what was their core sort of longing and drive and need and she so expresses that as a young character that then I guess what I always go back to is sort of like okay 
So this is a character that's like obsessed with people and connection, but but never can quite do it. They sometimes they let her in and then she always does something where it proves them right that for shunning her. Like absolutely, she should be shunned. This is not a safe person. So I guess for me, that's what I always have to go back to. It's like who this core person is. Um, and I guess it's sort of like reverse. Then you can, I don't know. I, I It's hard. It's hard to Honestly, I like, I could talk myself in circles about Misty's mentality all day long. It fascinates me to no end. And this question, this follow-up question is not going to be easy, but okay. where, where do you think she draws the line at, at, like, especially the, the older version, because I think the, the younger one is still discovering a lot more. Where does she draw the line between right and wrong? Does she have any understanding of when she crosses that line? Um, I think she has her own kind of rules of right or wrong, and it's what sort of serves her own purpose. I think that one of the things that we are saying by showing how uh, sort of boundaryless the characters are as adults is that they crossed a major boundary when they were children. And so now there aren't really any limits. Like once you've done certain things, I would imagine that if you're a certain kind of person, you don't see the limits. Um, and I think Misty is definitely that type. I think she's gone so far past uh, the realm of what is morally acceptable that there are, there are no, there is no moral compass anymore. Or it's really it's, it's off. It's it's pretty warped. <laughs> that's that's definitely how I viewed it. Oh my, so many follow-up questions. I don't know if you could like fully even answer this one because it's one of the big theories that's floating around out there. And I've I've definitely gotten into conversations about whether or not this is the case. But for you playing one of these characters in this situation, are are you thinking of yourself as being in a show with a supernatural component to it. Like nothing's been confirmed whether or not that's the case, but just for you playing in this sphere, is that on your mind at all? It is interesting. It doesn't really apply to my character that much. Like nothing, you know, my character has not, um, as adult Misty, has not really encountered any of that stuff. And even as young Misty, she's not necessarily having those visions or being haunted in that way. Um, so it's not something that I can necessarily have considered for my character. Like a lot of, most of my scenes don't incorporate that kind of element, but it is interesting. And, you know, it might be something worth incorporating. <laughs> no, it could, I feel like it could come in at any moment. Uh, this is why I'd be ready for that. Thank you for that. <laughs> good tip. Really good. You up right there. Um, let's talk a little bit about working with Samantha. I mean, I, I have said this a whole bunch of times in a lot of interviews at this point, but the, the pairing of actors in these roles is just one of the most extraordinary casting and performance feats I've ever seen in television. And you two are just pitch perfect together. So what is something that Samantha brought to the table that helped you access something in your own version of Misty that you wouldn't have been able to tap into or maybe wouldn't have even been aware of without her? Well, um, something that I really loved that Samantha decided to do was to really play young Misty as um, without any artifice, you know, that she just from the second, you know, the episode two starts, she's just going and it's all about functioning and it's all forward thinking, which to me spoke a lot about 
the level of self-awareness this character would inherently have um and whether and and also this idea that um that somebody who has none of that already so much is going to be built and formed and she really kind of laid the groundwork for a person who's going to create their own personality basically um but not in in instinctively or inherently have one mm -hmm. all right to open it up to more of the ensemble now of everyone in the yellow jackets cast who would you say has the most polar opposite ways of approaching their work where when you share a scene with these two people you know you're going to get two completely different ex uh, experiences as their scene partner I have to tell you, I only had one scene with Tawny and Melanie, and then I worked with Juliet mostly, and then my scenes were were not with the main cast. So I can't really answer that question. In in that case, I'll lean into Juliet. What is something about her as a scene partner that makes her stand out and maybe even something that you've never experienced on a set before? Julia is very free and open and um impulsive and you and surprising um and uh chat like because she's so alive and in it and will um um you have to be really on your toes and um it's it's interesting and it's interesting playing with somebody who's who is like that and her character is like that when my character is so controlled and so um um uh, terrified of of actually having a natural reaction um so it was a really interesting dynamic and it was fun because sometimes we get into things where like couldn't help but react and those moments i think really um uh like there's a scene where she's upset and she and i'm consoling her and but i've got to get her to leave and she she hit me and just as the character i just hit her right back and it, like the writers afterwards were like, that was amazing because it really, um, like they had already written a lot of the stuff where we had this sort of sisterly dynamic and, and there was, you know, there's another scene to come where we get very physical. So it was, it, it we had sort of naturally the right kind of dynamic and chemistry for the two characters, I think. So there's opportunities for stuff to pop up on the fly like that. But is there an example of any particular scene or decision that Misty makes that while preparing for that scene, you really needed to talk it through with the writers to kind of fully wrap your head around why she might pursue that path or make that decision? Um, no, no. And I'm also, it's kind of not how I work. Um, and especially with this, I have a real, um, I I have a real, unless something comes up where I'm just like, that's crazy and offensive and I don't ever want there to be footage of myself on camera doing this when I die. You know, the one thing I'll comfort myself with on my deathbed will the knowledge that there will be no footage of this. Um, um, I, I think unless it was something like that, I don't think that I would have a big thing. I think for me, with this especially, um, I really want to be able to take whatever this is, and this is someone else's story. You know, this is their creation, and and um, I want to be able to 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 it to make it work. Um, 
I mean, there've been little things along the way. There's been little stuff along the way because I do get worried with Misty that she's going to be too much, too clowny sometimes. And so there have been little things along the way where I'm like, yeah, that's a really funny prop, but is it too funny? You know what I mean? Like little things like that. And so they've been great with, with changing little things just um, to make things a little more subtle sometimes. Um, yeah. Is there a specific example you can give, whether it's a prop or, or anything of the sorts? Well, yeah. I mean, there's like, this is the, the most mundane example, but you know, like little things, like they had me in a scene ordering a Brandy Alexander as a drink. And I, uh, I I just I I was like I get I get that but I feel like it's too much. Um so I I I requested to change it to a chocolate martini. It's as bizarre of a regular drink to order, but it's just a little less obscure, I guess. <laughs> the little things make a big impression and they're very important in filling out a character to make them feel like a real living breathing yeah, human yeah, that being. That was always my thing. Like I get I get the I get the thing that is wanted. Like I get what the caricature of this would be. And then how do we sort of buff it down and make it more normal so that she's a person that when you see her, um, you think like, oh yeah, I've I've seen people like this and I've always stayed away from them. But it's not so crazy looking, at least. Yeah. I will forever judge anyone who orders a chocolate martini. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into, I guess, like some bigger spoilers here. The first thing, because you already brought it up, does does the new casting announcements and the reveals of which characters are actually still living in your timeline change how you're kind of thinking of anything going forward? Well, no, because uh, in the beginning, uh, this was something that was sketched out for in my meetings. Um, so I'm not surprised by what has been revealed so far. Okay. That totally makes sense. To follow up on that, what would you say is the biggest surprise? Whether it's something, I mean, obviously you can't reveal anything to come in the new season, but even something at the very end of season one that you weren't aware of at the start and really, you know, surprised you. I was really surprised when, um, when Natalie was kidnapped. I was very, when I read that, I was very surprised. I was also, as I was surprised by the dog head in Thaisa's basement. And I misunderstood. I didn't think that Thaisa had done that. I thought that the weird cult people who'd stolen Juliet, you know, because they look, you know, the way they look and everything. I thought those people had been getting into her house through that weird door thing. And then everybody else was like, no, Christina, that's not what it means. It's meant to imply that Thaisa did it. And I'm still not sure about that as an audience member. I think people were creeping into our house and doing shit. To be fair, literally every single theory or idea I've come up with that pertains to this show, I always then assume is wrong because I know the writers are smarter than me and they are going to surprise me at every turn. So if I've thought of something, I've already planted in my head that it's wrong. No, I know. That's why like any kind of conclusion I come up with or idea I have, I'm like, well, that would be cool, but I'm... Not going to assume it's happening. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have trained myself to think that way. Um, at the very end of season one, what would you say is, actually, I'll rephrase this. What do you think Misty thinks her greatest asset is? And what do you think she fears is her greatest weakness? 
I think that she is just the most fun character because I just think she's so arrogant. It's almost like she doesn't view herself as a real human being, you know? So I think that she thinks that she can do anything, get away with anything, um, because I think she she believes that she is very smart and she has all this information from her years of of being a citizen detective and being obsessed. God, I mean, I guess she has been obsessed with crime. Um, and I think she really feels like bolstered by all of this knowledge that she has. And I think she's also really, um, really uh, takes a lot of pride in how capable she is. Even just like she's a nurse. So all day long, that's what ner nurses are capable. They, they do stuff. They take care of things. I think for her, she has this pragmatic sort of like, I have all the information. I can physically do everything. I know how to do everything. I am capable. And I, I don't think she f has any fears. I think, and I don't even think she at this point will allow herself to think that it's, that she's bad with people. And that's why people stay away. From. I think she thinks people are mean um, and inherently bad. And that's why they don't like her. I would very much believe that thinking for yeah, her at this I point. Has, I think it makes her sad that she, I think she's desperate to connect and, and is lonely deep in her heart, but I don't think she thinks that's because of her. I'll toss that question back to you now as the actor playing her. After everything she went through in season one, is there any, I guess, new quality that has emerged or that you've discovered through playing her that you are especially eager to tap into and play with more in season two? I don't know. I think I think sometimes um, because... Be, I think sometimes it's um, difficult... Mm, to commit to certain things when you don't know the end of things. So through season one, I learned to have so much faith in the writing and faith in where my character would end up and that I could go to places that would have been too far for her if she wasn't also going to come out on the other side. Do you know what I mean? Like, And I feel like going into season two, because I do know now that they will always balance her. I can sort of um, lean more into uh, sort of like the, the, the twisted sort of childlike vulnerability and emotion that's there um, because we are still going to show her strength and that that's not all that she is, I guess. I am very, very eager to explore more with her. Um, before I have to let you go, I wasn't going to do this, but then the trailer dropped today. Uh, I did want to squeeze in one question about Wednesday. And like, obviously, the trailer is incredible, by the way. But I have not seen it. I'm, I'm t I, my baby only let me sleep two hours last night. So I only woke up a little while ago. I'm really sorry. And I haven't watched the whole thing. I like saw it on my phone and watched it silent on silent. And then was like, oh, God, I have to post this and then did other stuff. So I'm sorry. But I hear it's good. I mean, honestly, you could still get a really fulfilling experience watching it that way because it is beautiful. It is absolutely stunning. Yeah, it all looks great. My big question for you on that, I know you're obviously not playing Wednesday, but as someone who once got to play in that world, what is it about returning to that world, but in a different role that was most creatively fulfilling for you? Well, it's, I mean, you know, it's such a fun world and it's, it's, you know, it's sort of, I'm, I've always viewed myself as a kind of a natural contrarian 
And so oh, being in a world where everybody's just like thrilled to be doing the wrong thing is just great for me. I love it. Um, so that is what that world represents a lot for me emotionally. Um, but also it's just so beautiful and it's Tim Burton. And I, I was so honored to be asked by him because he is just, you know, a genius. Um, and then also to be a part, to be asked to be a part of the new version of this thing that is a huge part of my identity and my history and my life, I thought was really, I mean, I know they didn't do it out of the goodness of their hearts, but I, but I was really touched by it and I felt like it was very nice and, um, and, and it's such a fun world and my character is outrageous and fun and different than anything I've done and, um, and it was really great. And I had just, I had a really lovely experience on that with Jenna, who is amazing. And I think now people have a taste of her Wednesday and it's going to be fantastic. She is really incredible. Um, and Gwendolyn Christie, I loved working with her. She's my favorite. I love her so much. What a 2022 Jenna Ortega is having. She makes me so happy. I'm so excited for her. I'm so excited for all of you. That show is really like looking to be something else. Yeah, I think it's going to be really great. I have very high hopes. I'm eagerly awaiting that. I'm eagerly awaiting Yellow Jacket season two. But in the meantime, I will continue to rewatch and overanalyze season one and come up with all these theories that ultimately I will put in the trash. But thank you so much for talking Yellow Jackets with me and your career in general. I appreciate you sharing some of your stories and huge, huge, huge congratulations on that Emmy nomination. I am rooting for you. Thank you. 